Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to the service. I'm Tim. And um, I wanted to leave up the uh, uh, decorations that we have here around the church, the bunting, because I wanted to, just a little visual reminder of what's happened a few weeks ago when we had a great time celebrating the Jubilee Sunday. Um, wasn't that just a wonderful time to see scenes of stuff happening all over the country? Um, if you're part of what happened here, we had loads of fun together. Um, I think the best thing for me was the confetti cannons we had and then seeing everyone. And um, it was just a wonderful time. Now, uh, there's a photo we've got here of the Queen um, on the Thursday, I think it was. They're watching the red arrows go overhead, and that's the royal family. And um, there is the Queen. We had a lovely cutout of her uh, for, uh, for the day. And also, I managed to get the cutout of the Queen on both the BBC and the ITV News, because Ross Kemp came here. He was interviewed. I've got Queenie in the background. Uh, and I also got the Alpha Stand, which is very important to do. Uh, but let's just have that photo again. Um, I want you to imagine with me for a minute, if instead of wearing the normal matching, uh, whatever you'd call that, I don't actually know the technical term for what the Queen wears, but instead of wearing her normal, beautiful attire, the Queen decided to wear a tracksuit. You know, she decided to wear that she was going to wear, instead of like a matching suit, a matching tracksuit. And um, you don't actually have to imagine what this is like, because we've got a, a picture of that as well. And, um, <laughs> you know... The internet is a wonderful place, isn't it? Um, and some of you are thinking, this is a very strange way to start the sermon. Uh, where are you going with a picture of a queen in a matching tracksuit? Well, the thing is, the queen dresses in a way that is appropriate for her status as a monarch, doesn't she? She doesn't wear a matching tracksuit with, you know, things down the side of it. She sometimes will wear a crown and she'll look smart, she'll look presentable. She dresses in a way that is appropriate for her status and if you like, as Christians, we are called to do the same thing. You and I are called to dress ourselves in a way that is appropriate to what God has called us to be. Paul writes this in verse 22 that we, Andre has just read for us. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying, dress in a way that is appropriate for your status as a child of God. He says, put off your old self and put on the new self provided for you in Christ Jesus. And um, to help us visualize this, I'd like to call um, for the help of my very glamorous assistant, um, now, my very glamorous assistant is going to bring to the stage two T-shirts to help us visualize what Paul is talking about here. Uh, could we just have a round of applause for my glamorous assistant? You are so glamorous, Josh. Thank you so much. Should we just turn them around? Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Wonderful. So, what we're commanded to do as Christians is to put off our old life and to put on the new self that God has for us. Now, I've got two T-shirts here, and um, I'm sorry, Josh, that you had to be near this one. This is a T-shirt that I did some exercise in this week. Um, I played tennis in it, and um, just don't get too near it in terms of smell, okay? Sun cream and worse, you know, that's going on. And this is a nice, well, it was, it was neat, and then it went in my bag and stopped looking like I'd ironed it. But what we're commanded to do as Christians is to put off our old self and to put on the new self provided for us by Jesus. 
to put off our old self and to put on a new self, to dress in a way that is appropriate for our status as followers of Jesus Christ. You were taught, says Paul, with regard to your former way of life, and that's what he's talking about. It is a way of life that he's talking about. And he uses this image of putting on and putting off to describe how we are to live. In verse 24, he says that we have been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this brings us to a very important point about the Christian faith. We don't earn holiness and righteousness by being a good person. We receive righteousness, that new way of life, that spotless record, through faith in God. And when we come to God through faith and say, Lord, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done, I turn to you, Jesus, just like Rachel did, God provides for us through his son that new status. But what we all need to do, even though we've been given that, is appropriate it for our life. We're all called, even though we've been provided for it by Jesus, to actually put the thing on. God gives us to this in Jesus. He presents us clean robes, if you like, to use the image from Isaiah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. But what you and I need to do is put on a way of living that is appropriate to that. So as Paul goes through this passage, he gives five examples of how we're to put on and put off a way of life. Should we go through them together? We just start in verse 25. It'll be on the screen. You can also look in your Bibles. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for for we're all members of one body. Now notice there, Paul doesn't say, so that you become members of one body, here's how you are to live. He says, you are members of one body, therefore, so it's in light of what God has done, here's how you are to live. So we are to put off lying to one another and put on speaking the truth. The implication would be that falsehood undermines fellowship. Falsehood undermines the thing that God has brought together, but truth strengthens it. So what else? Well, firstly, secondly, excuse me, we're not to lose our temper, but to ensure that our anger is righteous. So verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, when Paul is saying this, in your anger, do not sin. He's echoing the Psalms, specifically Psalm 4, and it's like a Hebrew idiom. And this might confuse us slightly because here he's saying, in your anger, do not sin. And then just later on in the passage, he'll say, get rid of all anger. But what he's showing us is, and what we're commanded to do in Jesus, is to get rid of an anger that leads to a loss of self-control and to put on a kind of righteous indignation against injustice, sin, and evil. You think about Jesus. There were times when he was angry, but it was anger as led by the Holy Spirit, and not in a way that lost control. Okay, so that's the second example he gives. Thirdly, he says this, we're no longer to steal, but to work and give to others. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something, something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, the implication of this verse, I think, is that it's like God's provided for you for something. He's given something to you, so will you give something to other people? Many of us might think this verse applies to us. I don't know how many of us would say that, yeah, we've stolen things. But he says, put off stealing and put on working so that you can be useful and profitable and giving to other people. 
Now, again, just think about how God is working here. It's like you're no longer a thief. You don't have that status. You're a child of God, and therefore act like that is true. Put on giving to other people and put off stealing. Fourthly, we're to not use our mouths for evil, but for good. Verse 29, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Can you see the pattern again? Put off unwholesome talk, whether that's gossip or essentially slagging someone off, speaking behind their back, whether that's swearing, whether that's rude jokes. Get rid of that, he says, and instead put on a way of talking that is helpful for building others up according to what they need, so that what we speak is beneficial. And he says, verse 13, we'll return to this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed. Okay, fifthly, his fifth example is that we're not to be unkind and bitter, but to be kind and loving. Verse 31, you can read with me. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Can you see the pattern again? So he says, get rid, put off all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander. Put those things off. Don't live that way anymore. And instead, put on kindness and compassion. Put on the new self that follows the example of God. God forgave you, so put on forgiveness for other people. If you like, I guess he's saying, dress for success. But it's not, you know that phrase, dress for the job you want? Well, it's not, that's not true here. It's not the job you want. If you like, it's the job you have. You are a child of God. So dress in a way that is appropriate for that. Live in a way that is appropriate for being a follower of Jesus Christ. I think it's summed up best at the start of chapter five, which is right at the end of our reading. I love this verse. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What a verse to make for your life. Because it says who we are, dearly loved children of God, and it says what we are to do, to live a life of love. And that's how you could sum it all up, all of this. I wonder of those examples which might apply to you. I wonder where God might need to speak to you today about what you're to put off and specifically what you need to put on. It might have been one of those things in the passage, but it could be something else. You know, it could be that as you're reading the word of God elsewhere, you'll just feel the Holy Spirit nudge you and say, actually, that's the behavior you need to get rid of. But I want you to notice how relational all of these things are in our passage. They're all related to us being a body. Yes, they're about individual actions, but all of them, you know, he starts with, we're all members of one body, and then it all goes from there. All the ways he calls them to be holy, and we're called to be holy, is in the community of, church, of the church. So this is a personal way of life that we're talking about, but it's not just about me just putting on what God has for me. Instead, I think it's a bit more like this. We've got a photo, and they've been used quite a few times now in our sermons. We've got a photo of the HDC football team. So... I think it was last weekend we had some very brave guys from HCC, especially from the evening service, represent us in three teams in a church-wide, London-wide football tournament. And I heard they did really well. Um, they decided to model themselves on the English football team and come second, losing on penalties. 
And um, can you see their lovely blue uniforms? Now, you can't see it on the pocket, but it's got an HTC logo, that's great. And then across it, it says Salt. Um, and for those of you, some of you might know this, Salt is a dating app. So they're sponsored by a dating app. And I don't know why they are, but it feels very appropriate. Jago's speaking about relationships next week. Maybe Jago's sermon could be sponsored by Salt. But this is a picture of what we are meant to be like. As we put off the old self and put on the new self, more and more we begin to look like this. This is what we're called to be, the people of God, living as the people of God, together as the people of God, loving one another. Just as God loved us and forgave us, so we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And more and more as we grow to be like that, we will look like the HTC football team. But not sponsored by Salt, but you know, got the name of Jesus written on us or something more appropriate. That's what we're called to do. That's what all of us are called to do. Paul says, in regard to your former way of life, you are told to live in a certain way. Put off your old self. Put on the new self. So that's the really clear lesson from this, but let's just talk through some of the implications, because um, when we hear this thing about, well, it's not earning your salvation, it's something you receive by faith, all of us, me included especially, we can be tempted to think, well, that basically means I can kind of do what I like, and I, I know that I can come back to God for forgiveness, and of course we can. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? If anyone sins, we've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin. But that doesn't give us the freedom to do whatever we like. When Paul was writing to the Galatian church, he said this in chapter five, I'm sure you'll know this verse, verse 13. You, brothers and sisters, you HTC, you Tim Jones, you were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You are called to be free, you are free in Christ Jesus, but you're not to use that freedom, you and I are not to uh, use the freedom that we receive in Jesus Christ just to do whatever we want, but instead to serve other people. He uses the flesh in this verse in Galatians, but it's very, very closely related to this idea of the old self. It's who we were before we met Jesus Christ and we were born again of the Spirit of God. We're called to be free, but we're now called to live with our freedom in service of a holy God and with other people. Of course, there are consequences for our sin, aren't there? There are relational consequences to what we do. We can't just do whatever we want. We're called in this passage again and again to love one another. And if we sin against one another, we will hurt one another. There might be some of us here today, you're very aware, even of the way that Christian brothers and sisters have hurt you, or that you've hurt them. There are relational consequences to our sin. There are also spiritual consequences to our sin. Let's look at verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And it's like, don't let anger consume you in such a way that it perpetuates and continues and continues. And then he gives this warning. We're given this warning, verse 27, and do not give 
the devil a foothold. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, this is very interesting, because this shows us that when we come to Jesus, the devil no longer has a foothold in our lives. Elsewhere, it will say that you were once darkness, this is in chapter 5, but you're now light. You were once darkness. We might not feel like that, but we belonged not to Christ, but we were under the authority of the enemy. But now we've come out of that. But what sin does is just give the devil a little foothold in our life, a little space with which to tempt us, I think. If we give in to temptation again and again and again, it can be a place for the enemy to get us, for them to give in to temptation more and more and more. And the wonderful thing is, if you are in Christ Jesus, we've got nothing to fear there. We just need to do what Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, he just used the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And he said, you've got no authority over me, essentially. He said things like, man doesn't live by bread alone every time he was tempted. We can do exactly the same thing. But sin has spiritual consequences. The devil can have a foothold in our life. Also, verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sin has spiritual consequences. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. Notice again, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to earn the sealing. It's not like we're going to be a good person, put all of this on, and then at some point the Holy Spirit's going to be like, yes, you've achieved all the stuff. No, instead, as we come to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the Spirit. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed in him. It's like the Holy Spirit has put his mark upon us. You belong to me. You are mine. And yet the Spirit is so close to us. God draws so near to us that we are able to grieve him. Isn't that a remarkable thing? That God in all his holiness and majesty and splendor is grieved when we don't live in a way that honors him and other people. And this is a challenge, isn't it? Because how often do we come into church and we immediately start singing, Lord, you know, Holy Spirit, come. And yet we've got dirt on our hands. Lord, fill me today. Lord, I need you. Bless me, Lord, bless me. And meanwhile, we've been angry, or we've been lustful, or we've been prideful. And I need to be very careful here as I talk about this, because what I'm not suggesting is that, of course, that we lose our salvation in any way. We don't lose our status. We're still sealed with the Spirit. But we grieve him when we sin. And what we need to do again and again is come back to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Do you remember when Jesus washed his disciples' feet? And he said, if your whole body is clean, you only need to have your feet washed again. And it's a bit like that with us. We come in with dirty feet. And we need to be forgiven again and again and again. You see, I think the description of the Gentiles here, which is non-Christians, could apply to us. Let's read verse 17. So I tell you this, this is the start of our passage, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. Sin has a dramatic effect on us. It has a dramatic effect on us. And what this passage shows, and if you, you can see it elsewhere in the New Testament especially, you can see it in the example of the people of God in the Old, is that as we go down the route of sin, it will change us. Paul's saying here, don't live as you once did, in, and he talks about the futility of our thinking before we meet Jesus Christ. And I don't say if, if you were here and you wouldn't call yourself yet a Christian, I'm not uh, kind of applying this verse to condemn you. It's just to say that all of us are like this before we meet Jesus. And if you like, the more and more we sin, Jesus said you're a slave to sin, the more and more it has a grip over us. Paul writes, they're darkened, they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is into them due to the hardening of their hearts. It's almost like they can't help it. They're going down this road and they don't even realize what's going on. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge themselves. Without Jesus Christ, we don't even have our, the understanding that we are unclean before a holy God. But the challenge of this, I think, is even when we've come to God and we have received the light, our thinking isn't darkened anymore, we can still go down this kind of path. And this description can begin to become true of us, where we harden our hearts and where we lose sensitivity to what we do. We lose sensitivity to our own sin and we lose sensitivity to the grace of God. It's a bit like this. Let's take this T-shirt again. I'm not going to smell it because that'd be really weird. But if I did, trust me, it doesn't smell very good. But what happens, the more and more we sin, is that we lose sensitivity to our own stench, if you like. We lose the awareness that what we're doing is against God's command for our life. As we get hardened, as we get insensitive. And trust me, I have absolutely been there in my life the thing that I as I was reading this this week I've been thinking about this the thing that the Lord has really convicted me on is something that I don't think I have a problem with which is anger I don't think I've got a problem with anger I like to think of myself as quite calm and quite chill yeah I'm so relaxed even keeled that's who I am and yet this week on Friday I got incredibly angry it was a whole situation that was out of my control essentially it was very frustrating I'd lost something and what did I do? I turned to anger. And I, you know, I'm a bit ashamed to admit it, but I was walking along the road near my house, swearing very loudly. And I felt the Holy Spirit later on that day convict me to say, you're gonna go preach on Sunday. And you've been using your voice like that. And I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what God just needs to show you, highlight for you today. But what we all need to do is, Lord, soften my heart and quicken my senses so that I am aware that I don't grieve you, God, with what I do. And Lord, that I have the awareness that I am a loved child of God. Because that's the other thing the enemy takes away. That's what happens when the devil gets a foothold in your life. He begins to lie. No, you're not really a child of God. Did God really say that he loves you, that he'll never leave you and forsake you? That's what the enemy ends up doing. And loss of sensitivity doesn't just lead to us seeing missing this, but also missing this. Being unable to see the provision for us in Jesus Christ. 
You see, what we need is what comes up from verse 23. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, even when God has made us a new creation, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, says the word. But we all still need to be made new in our minds, in our thinking, in our thinking about where we were, in our thinking about where we are, and our thinking about where we're going. In our thinking about the body of Christ that God has called us to. In our thinking about God, and especially in our thinking about ourselves. We need that kind of quickening where, where we've been dulled. We need to be made fresh, and we need to see what our sin does to our holy God, but also who he's called us to be. You and I need to be made new in our minds. Think about what Romans says. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. But what this shows us is that this thing of your mind being renewed and us living of a holy life, they go together. And what we're meant to have, instead of a pattern of sin that takes us down a route where we get hardened and we get insensitive, we're actually meant to have a pattern in our life Whereas we put on the new self, God renews us. And every day, as again, we put on the new self, God renews us. And more and more and more, we grow into the kind of people that God has called us to be, that Jacob was speaking about last week, where we're walking in maturity, where we're walking in the kind of faith that God has for us, where we reach a unity in the faith. All we need to do as we hear this is say, Lord, help me today put on the new self. And then when you wake up tomorrow morning, Lord, help me put on righteousness and holiness that you have for me. And every day as we do that, God will renew us and renew us and renew us. And more and more and more and more, we will grow into the kind of people that God has called us to be. More and more and more, we will reflect, if you like, the team in our shirts, all of us wearing what God has for us. And as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about, yes, but why, why are we called to do this? I was thinking about, well, how can I put across to people, you know, why do this? And the reason ultimately comes from the start of chapter five. Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The reason we're called to holiness, the reason we're called to put on the new self ultimately is because of what God has done for us. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You see, on the cross, what Jesus Christ did was take our old selves. He took us in all our stain and our filth and our sin and he put it upon himself he bore our sin on the cross. He took it on himself. Even though he was holy and perfect, he took our sin upon himself so that he could offer you and I perfection, righteousness, and holiness. And therefore, he says to us, will you wear what I've provided for you? Will you wear what I've provided for you as I gave my life for you on the cross? Will you put it on? Will you put on the new way of life that I've given to you? And will you do it every day? And will you walk in my ways by the help of my Holy Spirit? Will you obey me? Will you put off the way you were? And will you put on what I have provided for you on the cross?
That's what God calls us to do. And we're going to celebrate that now, and we're going to remember all that God has done for us as we take communion. And we're going to thank God, and we're going to remember that his blood was shed for us, and his body was broken for us. And I'd encourage you, just as we receive communion today, just say, Lord, help me live for you. I'm so sorry where I've been going where I'm my own way. I'm so sorry where I'm hardened. Lord, quicken my senses and help me put on the new self. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you would send your only son. Lord, that whoever would believe in you would not perish but have eternal life. And I thank you that you now call us dearly loved children of God. You call us your own, Lord. And we ask that you would help us live as though that true. Live as though that were true because we know in our hearts that it is. And we're sorry for where we've been going our own way. We confess our sin before you, God, and we cling to your mercy today. And we ask that you would be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.